If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on Homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch, fastball, pulled it. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Welcome in. This is Fantasy Baseball Today. The early 2020 rank previews continue. That is Scott White over there. I am Chris Welsh. Today, take a deep breath. It's a big one. It's third base. The players that don't even make the list are mind-boggling. Where the players pair out, kind of create some conversation. Scott, are you ready for what third base has in store for you for this offseason? I thought I was ready when I started putting this list together. I thought this is going to go just like all the other positions. But no, it is it is a rip your hair out, agonize over where you have every single player kind of position. Because I, I feel like I feel like beyond the top five, not that there's no debates to be had within the top five, but, you know, the top five or the top five. And then maybe the next 10 spots after that. You could talk to me. You could talk me into any order. Really pretty close to it. How much do you think just real quick? And we're going to just jump right into this because third base uh, deserves a lot of attention today as we continue through all of these series. And if you missed it, we just did second base earlier. First and catcher already in the books. How much do you think you're going to be uh, tinkering? You're going to be messing around, dragging, moving up and down. This seems like a position, as I even look at your ranks, these are not mine or anything like that, but I look and I could, I feel like I could talk myself into two to three player adjustments across the board on almost every single guy you have here, minus maybe one or two, but especially inside that top 15, I feel like there could be a lot of tinkering that could happen between now and uh, season start. Yeah, particularly given the discrepancy between where I rank some of these players and where they went in the too early mock, the six, the six mock drafts done by industry experts, where there are some, there are some considerable differences between my rankings and you know those mock draft results. So, I, I mean, I, I'm a guy who, who adjusts his rankings based on where I see players going to a degree. I mean, obviously, I don't want to do anything I don't believe in doing, but... Sure. To, to some degree, it drives my, um, it, it's, you want to maximize the return of every pick. And if you're way ahead of the industry consensus on a guy, then you're going to reach for him in drafts in a way that's not healthy. Um, if you can get him later, 
you should rank them lower. That's how I've always seen it. So I could see some adjustments happening based on that. Well, let's get right into it. I'm not sure there's much of an adjustment that need be here, but you know, I want to just talk about the first two players because as I said that, the minute I started saying it, I could hear myself, um, I could hear an echo in my head to say that actually there might be an argument that this could be the year that the player you have as number two could supplant Nolan Arenado. Nolan Arenado is your number one. He's been the number one. Hit 41 homers this year with a 314 average, 118 RBIs, and 102 runs. But Alex Bregman, who comes in at number two, also hit 41 homers, 112 RBIs, 122 runs, got five stolen bases, and a 296 average. Upside could be in play here. And I think this might be the first time in maybe a while that there's not a consensus agreement on Nolan Arenado, though I think you are you and the industry are together right now. This could change. This was the hardest number one for me, this position, because it wasn't even just between those two, Arenado and Bregman. I think Anthony Rendon is right there. And my initial inclination was to rank Rendon number one. He had far and away the best season of these three, at least on a per-game basis. I mean, actually, it was so good that it. I think it was better even if you take the per-game uh, qualifier out of there. But the issue for Rendon has always been that you have to include the per-game. Like, two years in a row now, he's been the best third baseman in points per game. So, like, a head-to-head points league. He's been the best third baseman two years in a row, obviously, this past year by a considerable margin. Um, but the reason you're having to say per-game is because he always misses the stretch with injuries. It's just... It's just a given for him, and it's you have to downgrade as, him some because of that. And it's interesting. I'm looking at Bregman and Arenado. I mean, and they're like a safe 155 games. Maybe you get a couple yep. more in there every single year where um, Anthony Rendon has not hit 148 games over the last three years. And it's so close between these three, um, just in the traditional 5 by 5 categories, I think, that if you were to talk about a points league where specifically walks are factored in. I think Arenado Arenado drops from first to third because he's the only one of these three. It's kind of amazing how productive a hitter he he is that he walks as little as he does, Arenado. Um, You know, Bregman and Rendon, that's, that's one advantage they have over him in that format. So I think I slide both ahead in that format. But traditional five by five league, there's just, there's nothing to be concerned about with Arenado. He's he's going to be a stud in the four categories. He's always a stud in. He's safe health-wise. Obviously, his park gives him a nice cushion, even when he has a down year. I I don't I don't see how in that five by five category league uh, there there's really any reason to roll the dice on Bregman or Rendon over him. And right now, Arenado and Bregman are like the lockdown top two third basemen in those two early mocks. Uh, Arenado had an ADP of nine, but he was going as the first. Bregman was eleven, so those were two first basemen or two third basemen that were locked in as first round picks and as one and two. What hasn't caught up and is really it's kind of a part of conversation about any of these early early uh, ranks uh, positional episodes that we're doing, and is for people to wrap their head around is perceived value has not caught up to Anthony Rendon. Is he is he valued high? Sure, he is. We're going to talk about another guy who's right after Rendon, who's kind of seen in the same way, but have the results match to where they deserve to be drafted around? I'm not so sure because Rendon, early, early drafts, was the fifth third baseman taken in those two early mocks. 
And, you know, I mean, technically he was still in the second round, but quite a bit of a difference between 9 and 11 down to the 20th overall player. The sentiment has not caught up to Anthony Rendon at this point versus those two players. He legitimately crushed the ball. There was nothing lucky about the career year that Anthony Rendon had. His actual batting average was 319. His XBA was 310, basically right on point. His actual Woba was 418. His ex-Woba was 413. And this is a guy who the previous two years was, you know, 380, 385 Woba. So that's the kind of increase we're talking about. So it may be another situation where maybe, uh, well, it, it could just be that they weren't looking close at the numbers. They feel like they have a good concept of Anthony Ren, who Anthony Rendon is, and they overlooked the strides he made. Or it could be another example, like we talked about a lot on the second base previews, where track record versus believability of the season he just had. I think Rendon's believability is 2019 is is very high, but he hasn't been nearly... I mean, he's been a great hitter, but particularly in terms of power, he hadn't been that caliber of hitter before. So give me a nugget on each player that makes one go over the other. So what is the thing that sets Arenado above the other two? What is the thing that sets Bregman above Rendon? Take out the points conversation in the, in the per game stuff. We're just talking, you know, five by five categories. We're looking at that. What's the thing that sets Arenado over both? And what's the thing that sets Bregman above, above both? Arenado reliability. And um, I think probably, uh, you know, maybe Rendon compares to him in batting average from a track record standpoint, but Bregman compares to him in terms of power. Arenado does both. So he's, you know, if if you're, he wins out there on track record over those two, Bregman. Um, it's mostly health separating him and Rendon. Honestly, there's the shortstop eligibility. The one, the fact he's the only dual eligible player of these three also helps. But it's it's mostly the fact that he stayed healthy and Rendon hasn't. That has Bregman second for me and Rendon third. Now, number four is a really interesting name. He's not. We're not talking about him in the same tier. Ironically, though, of all three of those players, this guy has more stolen bases, which I wouldn't have guessed. It's, it's minimal stuff here. But uh, we're talking about Rafael Devers. 32 homers, 115 RBIs, 129 runs, and eight stolen bases with a 310 average. An absolutely phenomenal year. First round you know, return easy here. But... He's not necessarily being taken in that same range. He was going around just right around Rendon. Like Rendon endeavors are kind of being treated as one and the same where you're kind of talking about Rendon above that category of Devers. So do you see it like that? Yeah, I don't see the justification for taking Devers over Rendon. I think there are I, I think there are questions as to whether he can be quite as good as he was again. You know, the fact that he's 22, y- you know, maybe we will see some underlying improvements that help support the final numbers. Um, and he does end up doing basically the same thing again. But what I see is a huge difference in plate discipline in terms of how often they get on base apart from hitting their way on. It's a huge difference. And, uh, Anthony Rendon has proven to be a more reliable batting average source than Devers. I mean, Devers has only done it once, so maybe that goes without saying. But even in terms of um, what the batted ball profile looks like, I trust if Rendon does the exact same thing again, 
Well, no, let's say Devers does the exact same thing again in terms of quality of contact, and Rendon is just normal Rendon. I still expect Rendon to hit for the higher average. So it, it's unbelievable, the batting average. What about the rest? If you're looking, if you're breaking down all five categories, is it only batting average that is the least believable of this? Of this, Or do you think, you know, 100 plus on runs and RBIs and, you know, immense homers are a sustainable thing for Rafael Devers? I think it's 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 difficult to. I know, know what's a, the best it, way of putting it. I, I think it's believable. I think it's based on the kind of based on the quality of contact Devers made in 2019. It's probably on the high end of who he could be. Like if he if if he made that exact level of contact with the exact same frequency next year, the numbers probably look a little worse. But the fact. You know, it's in the realm of possibility what he did. And the fact he's 22, I mean, maybe the skills continue to improve from here. So, uh, you, you know, but I look at the fact he had a 339 BABIP despite not having a very high line drive rate. Um, you know, home run to fly ball rate was pretty high too in terms of the power production. Not crazy high, but, you know, a little high. So, I don't know. I, I think I would say... If I was predicting step forward or step back for Devers next year, I would take, I would predict a small step back. But I certainly could see the argument that he just gets better. I mean, he took a huge step forward skills wise in 2019, and he could do it again. All those guys were nice and fun that we just talked about. Super fun talking about Arenado, Bregman, fine. Devers is fun. Rendon, you know, couldn't be more solid. It's all about Jose Ramirez. That is mm. going to be one of the biggest conversations of 2020. It feel it's actually feels very uh, John VR, like we were talking about in the last episode, where you're looking at a guy like Jose Ramirez. It's it's a different, it's a little bit of a different spectrum. But how I'm I'm putting it together is there's a value system that is much higher with a guy like Jose Ramirez than where he's going. He was con- he was locked down number three third baseman being taken. His numbers. They don't justify it. So what people are doing is they're taking the second half, and the second half was pretty phenomenal for Jose Ramirez. So really, what this comes down to is which Jose Ramirez is the real Jose Ramirez? Because <laughs> if second half is real, he's a first-round pick. He could he could justifiably be the number one third baseman to take. He will cost you a second-round pick this year. Will you be invested? And which is the real Jose Ramirez? Yeah, I don't know. That he's he's definitely a head scratcher because it didn't make sense the collapse, and yet the turnaround happened just as suddenly, just as unpredictably in my mind. There weren't, you know, it didn't make sense, but it was basically a full calendar year where he was a 200 hitter, right? And so, why are you expecting it to change after a full calendar year? And yet it did. He went back to being the Jose Ramirez. Uh, through mid-August of 2018, you know? And he's a five-category stud, that Jose Ramirez. Makes a ton of contact. He runs with, you know, should deliver a big steals total. Certainly the power's playing up in this environment. He's a stud, five-category stud, probably a first-round caliber bat. I just don't understand any of it. I don't. I don't. I don't understand. Like, yeah, I can point to, okay, he stopped hitting as many fly balls when the turnaround started. Maybe he was selling out less for power. But it's just such a dramatic change. It's night and day, the difference. 
And I don't know. It's <laughs> Do you think there's a more volatile fantasy player than Jose Ramirez right now? I guess if you really put, press me on it, I would say I believe in good Jose Ramirez more than bad Jose Ramirez because it's not like there were these great red flags when he was the stud. I mean, I was taking him third overall last year just like most people were. But do you believe um, that he's volatile? Because uh, what yeah, I'm getting well, he's at definitely here, volatile. But is he? I mean, okay, so he's at the top. I don't need you to tell me if he's like the number one. That's arbitrary here. You know, the volatile guys with incredible skills are. I mean, at this point, you could even throw like a guy like Edwin Diaz in there. But Noah Syndergaard is one of those players. Crazy skills, super volatile. Maybe even moving away from volatile to just not as trustworthy. Jose Ramirez is one of those players because he could go either way. And when you're looking at your top three yeah. rounds. How many players do you look at in, let's just talk about a 12-man, your top 35 players, let's say. How many players do you look at in your top 35 and say they could be a post-200 valued player or they could be the best fantasy player out there or a top five? I don't see a player that comes remotely close to him unless you consider VR a top 35 player. That's it. Yeah. And people might not want to get down that route. That's a good case. What's interesting, though, is even when Ramirez was terrible this year, he was running so much yeah. that it's not like you were taking him out of your lineup in a 5x5 five five league, you know? That was, that was part of... That sometimes hurt you more. Player. It hurts you even more because you, you just couldn't let go, and he would just hurt you yeah. across the board and get that stolen base. All I'm getting at is there's plenty of people that want to avoid risk, and there isn't someone that has a bigger risk-reward I would say in the top three to four rounds than him right now. There's plenty of other like rookies and stuff like that you can get into. But if you're risk averse, Jose Ramirez might be a player for you to avoid on. Because guess what? You're not getting that much of a discount. You're getting a discount from him not being a top four overall player. But you're still going to have to probably pay a top 20 pick. Yeah, you probably have to take him in the second round. Um, yeah, probably do. All right. I think if it was the third round, it would be easy to roll the dice on that second round. I don't know. But even now, as we're talking about it, I, I'm i having a hard time justifying to myself taking Devers over Ramirez, how I have them ranked here. So that might be something I end up changing. And I think that shows, because, you know, I don't want to be negative on Devers. I think he's an emerging stud. Um, I t- mostly spoke negatively of him to distinguish him from the top three on this list. But I think he's an emerging stud. But I think I'd rather have Ramirez and all the volatility just because of all the ways he excels that we know Devers doesn't. And he could be, you said, you kind of seem to be locked to get in like one stolen base guy. Maybe Ramirez is your stolen base guy. Well, the thing is, like, even if he stopped running, I still see him being like a 290 hitter, you know, in a good scenario with 30 plus home runs. So it's, there's a lot to fall back there. Uh, There's a reason why he went. Top three in 2019, you know, and it's not just because of steals, but that certainly puts him over the top if he's going to do that again. Publicrec.com slash FBT. Think about that favorite pair of raggedy old sweats. You love how comfortable they are. You can lounge in them. But how often can you wear them out of the house without being maybe stared at once or twice? How often can you go to like work with them? Well, there's a pair of pants that can do all of the above. We are introducing the all-day, everyday pant from Public Rec, your new go-to for style, comfort, versatility, and dark olive. As Scott White knows, the dark olive is for you. They've got mm-hmm. the, they're the first sweats that have waist and inseam sizing. So whether you're short, tall, or somewhere in between, they're gonna fit you perfectly. Lots of colors, nine different colors, in fact, you can go choose from. 
They're calling these the all day, every day for a reason. Perfect for any dress code. I can go and wear them walking around the house or I can go in a corporate setting and I'm still looking good. Go to publicrec.com slash FBT today and get 10% off your first pair of their all day, every day pants automatically applied at checkout. And as always, you get free US shipping and free returns. Don't sleep on this rare opportunity to get a discount. That's public rec, rec spelled R-E-C dot com slash F-B-T. Go get your 10% off public rec. All right. This is one of my favorite players on the planet. People who have followed me for multiple years, they know my absolute love for Chris Bryant. But this is not the same Chris Bryant of the past. We're, we're leveling off. Frankly, this Chris Bryant might not be a Cub by the time we're starting this season. Whoa. As they're going to reestablish, well, the Cubs are ready to reestablish, and Javier Baez or Chris Bryant, one or both, maybe on the chopping block. He did finish mm. the year with 31 homers, a 281 average, which was better than last year, thankfully. But the RBIs were low, runs were really high, and he has not played 150 games over the last two years. I'm, I'm mixing it a little bit, 147 this year. It's just not the same Chris Bryant. Goes through bigger slumps doesn't have quite the same output high potential as before. So is he in a completely different tier than the top five guys yes. we've talked about? Like almost like there's, there has to be a couple blocks in between five to six to really distinguish how far off Chris Bryant is from those five. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, I, he keeps getting the benefit of the doubt because he's Chris Bryant, a former number two overall pick. Wins Rookie of the Year right away. Wins MVP his second year. His and just blue looks eyes. like this total world beater. But yeah. I think injuries maybe have had something to do with it. I think the environment change and just the fact that his he, the ways he stands out aren't that standout anymore. Um, you know, they, they both contributed to the fact that he's, while still very good, not even close to being the first rounder we thought he was going to be, a perennial first rounder when he first got started. The power has actually gone down a little bit. He's had trouble staying on the field. Uh, this year was the year I, he had the best, he, he, you know, I don't think there was a major injury thing that came up this year, right? I think he missed some time. He missed a little bit of time. He only played 147 games, so there obviously wasn't anything significant. I do remember right. him missing some time, and I feel like he was lingering with something, but it's all a little bit jumbled at this point of the season. And that's the thing, is that keeps happening, you know? Yeah. Well, and he doesn't stand out. I mean, it's a, it's a problem. He is not the same hitter that we've known before. He started the year off really great. Through the first 85 games, had a 297 batting average, over 400 OBP, 17 homers, but it pared down. 351 OBP, but a 261 average to come off in the second half. And, you know, I think there you could look at this a couple different ways. There actually could be a value. It's one of the best values we've ever got on Chris Bryant coming into this year, and it's not coming off of a horrific injury or a completely downtrodden season. It was just a fine season. It was okay. He was put in a different situation where he was a run scorer rather than a run yeah. producer. Chris Bryant is going around 45. 46.7 to be specific is what his too early mock ADP was. What is fascinating, though, the next guy who is on this list and yours, Eugenio Suarez, yes, they're the next guy, but they're all, they are a full round difference where they were going. I find it hard to justify how, even as much as I love Chris Bryant, how you can take Chris Bryant 
significantly over Eugenio Suarez. You at least have to make it a conversation at this point. Eugenio Suarez, a huge power output this season. Yeah, and what's what's funny is it was looking like kind of a disappointing season for Suarez at the All-Star break when he was batting, I think, just over 250 with only 20 of the home runs he ultimately ended up hitting. But yeah, when he showed that he has the capacity for 50 home runs, I mean, I, I don't know if that's what something we should bank on year after year with him, but it's it's now in, you know, it's 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 in the dough. It's in the mix for him. It's something you have to at least account for the possibility of. Um, and, you know, on the on the flip side, his strikeout rate went up to an uncomfortable level, but he showed between. Uh, between 2018 when he did it a lot with like plate discipline and good power and then the huge power he showed in 2019, he showed there's a variety of ways he can go right. And so I'm not inclined to bet against him. Uh, you know, I think there's, I, th- I think he stands out for most of the position now in that way. And And frankly, if Chris Bryant wasn't named Chris Bryant, I probably would rank Suarez ahead of him. I just, he earns some benefit of the doubt even for me. Bryant does that that those legacy points that he built up. Well, what's all yeah, I, I don't actually disagree with that at all. I know and it's it's funny. What you just said there's a really funny thing because there are there's these like purists that will get super offended by that idea. You know, quantify everything. There's gotta be an answer to everything. No, there there are legacy points. That's actually a thing. And there's there's value <laughs> drafting. There's upside that we know. And what I think is interesting about these two players as well not saying you'd want to do this, you have the potential to take both of these guys. You know, Chris Bryant also has outfield eligibility. If you're really looking between these two players, they're about a round difference. You have the ability to take both of these guys, and I actually don't think that's a horrible pairing, even though, you know, there's a semi-positional grouping of them both being third basemen. Chris Bryant, you can put out in the outfield, both big production. I love both of these guys. But are Suarez and Bryant their own tier because... You've got two guys. We don't we don't need to talk heavy on them because we've already talked about them twice. DJ LeMayhew and Max Muncie come in at eight and nine respectively. Are mm-hmm. Suarez and Bryant in their own tier away from these guys? Or does a guy like LeMayhew actually maybe sneak in? I think they're I think they're all in the same tier for me. Um and I, I think we should probably mention Jeff McNeil. You know, I had those three consecutively at second base, LeMayhew, Muncie, and McNeil. They were a few spots up at second base because it's a thinner position. But I tier them, and maybe some beyond that, actually, with Bryant and Suarez. I would expect there's a good chance you draft multiple. I mean, LeMahieu, Muncie, and McNeil, you're more likely to draft them as your second baseman than your third baseman. So it's kind of unfair to even rank them here since it's probably not what you're going to draft them to play. But Nonetheless, that's where they're eligible. And part of what factors into them going this high is that second base eligibility. Even if that isn't your plan, it could become your plan in season. And it's a big it's a big benefit for those three. It's a great point. So DJ LeMahieu, Max Muncy, and Jeff McNeil. Jeff McNeil comes in at 10. Guys we've talked about in this same relative range with big power and always relative big potential. Speaking of potential, have you taken advantage of the $10 off you can get over at SeatGeek by using our promo code FANTASY. You haven't? Why? SeatGeek promo code FANTASY. Whether you're searching sporting events or live music, comedy, even more, they've got everything for you. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. Right on their app. 
They break it down with green signaling the best values, red, those are the bad ones, and you always can have confidence that you are getting the best seats at the best price because they are fully guaranteed over at SeatGeek. You should download it today because you are going to get $10 off your first purchase over at SeatGeek. Do it right now. All you got to do is use our promo code. So go download the app from the app store. Use promo code FANTASY. You're going to get $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code FANTASY for $10 off your first purchase over at SeatGeek. Things are about to get interesting. People are sitting around here, Scott. They're stretching, putting their arms out, maybe putting the head foot, you know, like you, you've seen that meme where, you know, you're playing someone in a video game and you're like, oh, it got serious and you lean forward. The podcast version of that is what you and I just did. Push those headphones in just a little bit deeper in the ear yep. because things are going to get interesting because you yep. guys have realized there are some big names we haven't talked about <laughs> and we're about to talk about them. And I don't think it's going to be, there are two names I think people are really waiting for. You ain't getting them yet, because number Not 11 yet. is my oh, guy, yeah. Yoan Moncada, or as I will uh-huh. say, Yoan Moncada now at number 11, Scott. Oh, some people might be mad that he's this low, you know, if you're just factoring in pure upside. Maybe not comparatively. I get your point, but not comparative to the names yeah. that have not been mentioned. And, and yet this this former top overall prospect just had a breakout season, 315, 25 homers, 915 OPS, even chipped in 10 steals. Uh, he did what we wanted him to do in terms of cutting down his strikeout rate. I still think, you know, the 315 batting average, considering it was a BABIP around 400, that's probably not going to happen again unless he ups the power production, which he could potentially do. I mean, he's still in his mid twenties, so uh, I ex- I think Moncada is more likely to take a step back than forward next year, but step forward is certainly on the table. The batting average would have probably been the biggest thing I wouldn't have believed. Like if you would have given me that stat line. I just had it pulled up here. If you would have said, all right, Yoan Moncada, 25 homers, 10 stolen bases, 79 RBIs, 83 runs with a 315 average and only 132 games. All of that was actually relatively reasonable. I just wouldn't have never believed the batting average because he yeah. jumped 80 points from 2018. As a matter of fact, it was a 230 hitter, a 233 average between 18 and 17, jumped up to 315. The sustainability of that is incredibly hard to believe. Well, a lot of it is the strikeout rate. He went from striking out about a third of the time to a quarter of the time. And it is a high BABIP profile. So relative to others who strike out that much, I do expect him to hit for average. But a 406 BABIP, I mean, it's not that high. Nobody has a high BABIP profile like that. How about number 12? Matt Chapman. I still haven't said the names they want to hear. Scott, you got Matt Chapman at uh, number 12. And I love Chapman. He's a he's a very, very fun and up-and-coming player who had a really, really great season. And he's kind of one of those like, like favorites that everybody's got. Batting average was not great, 248, coming off of a 277, 2018, but he hit 36 homers, went over a hundred runs for the second straight year, and he really pushed the RBIs going up to 91 this time. So talk to me about why, and I'm gonna spoil a little bit, why Matt Chapman and Yoan Moncada are players that are valued over Manny Machado, who's at 13, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who is at 14. What sets Chapman and Moncada above those two? Ah, yes, the big reveal. And I'm not comfortable with any of this, I will point out. (laughs) You do look nervous. I just want to say, if anybody that's ever searched body language, Scott's squirming a little bit. 
hands to the face, didn't want to look at me for a minute. Like you, you have a genuine uncomfort. So I just want you all to feel okay that even <laughs> Scott is uncomfortable with this right now. I'm uncomfortable with this. Yes, I'm not trying to make a statement here. I'm just calling it the way I see it. Okay, so Chapman, in theory, is very close to being a stud. Good strikeout and walk rates, hits the ball hard, elevates well. It's just the line drive rate is really hurting the BABIP, which is really hurting the batting average. Seems like something he could still fix and, and you know, emerges like a top five, six hitter. Emerges a first Bryant-like player, if not better. Um, and then Moncada, we talked about the upside there. So in the case of Machado and Guerrero, it was a really bad season for Machado. I think beyond what just looking at, you know, the first number we tend to gravitate toward is the home run total. He had a fine number of home runs. He hit 32 home runs. Okay, pretty much within in line with career norms for him. But where it stacked up among third basemen, as productive as the position was and as as high-end as so many of those hitters were beyond just the home runs, um, you know, he graded out as lower than 13. You know, I'm I'm giving him some benefit of the doubt, but just by ranking him this high. And and where the doubt really comes in is you look at his career at Camden Yards versus everywhere else, and everywhere else, he's kind of the guy who he was, he, who he was this past year. And that's true. I mean, even when he went to the Dodgers last year, you look at what his batting average was with them. It wasn't that good either. Um, what makes it even worse is now he's in San Diego. Not such a great place to hit. Camden Yards, of course, is. His numbers at home this year were particularly bad. I just, you know, I was willing to dismiss it as one of those things that just tends to happen for players. Maybe they get establish a certain comfort level playing at home or um, sounds like you want to say they got their money and then they just stopped trying. That's not at all what I'm saying. No, no, I'm just, I was just insinuating. I'm not, I'm not saying <laughs> you're saying that I'm like, it almost sounded like the classic narrative of an athlete where like, well, they got paid. So, you know, that's the whole, like, well, it's a contract year. So this is the really important year. And the inverse there's a, well, they got paid. So the production isn't there. No, no, that's really not at all what I'm saying. Okay. I'm just saying, He's out of Camden Yards now. And that the numbers show that that was a, being, playing in that park was a big part of what established him as a first round caliber bat. And now that he's away from that park and at a park where he doesn't seem to be well suited, he's significantly less than that. Not Can that I he's bad, but I, I don't see him ascending to that level again. With the evidence I have now. Can I present a scenario for you really quick? I don't want to go too okay, crazy sure. into this. What if the San Diego Padres continue their aggressive nature? And what if they were to go, and I'm just throwing this out here. This is something that people have speculated about. What if it seemed like the Padres went out and purchased one year of a player like Mookie Betts? And they brought in a huge bat. So I'm building you a scenario of protection in the lineup more runners. Um, his RBIs were literally the lowest he's had when he's played 150 games since I think it was his rookie year since, uh, his, no, it was his second year in 2013. He's never had this low of an RBI total. 
In 2014, he only played 82 games, but 2013, he played 156 and he had 71 RBI. So again, blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying is that San Diego isn't exactly flush with all these offensive weapons, especially when they lost Tatis Jr. So what if a team like the Padres went out and got a player of Mookie Betts' caliber, a Javier Baez? I don't care. You pick, you choose. Do you think that changes the narrative of it at all for him? I think it gives him a good chance of being the 13th best third base. Okay, it doesn't change anything uh, for you. Gotcha. Well, I don't want to... And let me, you know, because I know you're more five by five oriented and our our audience is kind of split 50 50. So, um, you know, the points versus the five by five leagues. Yeah. So, um, you know, I want to give you a more precise measurement here of where he showed up in the rankings based on the year he just had. So he was basically 21st at third base in mm-hmm. five by five leagues this year and in points leagues. Particularly if you do the per game number. I mean, in points per game, he was behind Kyle Seeger. He was behind Nick Solak and Tommy LaStella. He was behind Yandy Diaz, Danny Santana. I mean, it was, and that was a 32 homer season. So, yeah, I mean, maybe the lineup improves around him and he gets the RBI and run totals up from the low to mid 80s. Um, but it's still going to be hard for him to crack the caliber of third baseman we have here. I mean, who who would you rank him at? Like, who can you definitively say he's better than? Well, I, mean, I, I think... I, the, I've get, I take it you'd rank him ahead of Chapman and Moncada. Um, Moncada, I probably will. Chapman's an interesting one. Batting average doesn't help Chapman. Here's, But this is what I wanted to throw out with, my, with Machado. We've had a lot of conversation about track record. We're talking about, um, what was it, the legacy points with a guy like Chris Bryant. And that's kind of thrown out the window a little bit in this conversation or even in the rank of Manny Machado. And he's in a new spot that isn't necessarily hitter friendly. So I think there's a lot of this these statements that you can make. And frankly, is it is he going to be worthwhile? His name value alone, he's still going inside the top 40. He was being he was going as yeah. the third or the seventh third baseman in the two early mocks. He's still valued inside the top 40. So you know, risk versus reward, I think, is a little bit muted here. But when you also talk about kind of following the trends, I probably like I think there's an interesting debate between Machado and a player like Suarez, you know, or a player like Chapman, even though Suarez had a fi- almost, you know, almost a 50 homer season. There's a track record to go with Machado as, you know, a big bat in the middle of the lineup, though he does a little bit smell of a Carlos Correa where we always put all the like, well, Carlos Correa potential, potential Carlos Correa, and it never actually lives up to it. You go and look at Manny Machado's number, uh, his numbers, his names might be bigger than his production, to be frank with you. Well, I would go back, for starters, I would go back to saying what I said at the start of this podcast, that after the top five, which ended with Devers and Ramirez, um, the next 10, you could talk me into any order. So I'm basically saying they're in the same tier. I'm basically saying Bryant and Suarez are in the same tier as Machado. But at the same time, I mean, Suarez would have to take a much bigger step back. You know, if you're, if you're wanting them to meet in the middle, you're asking Suarez to take a much bigger step back than Machado to take a step forward, if that makes sense. That did. is the point I'm making. Ma- Machado it's, is so far back for you. It yeah. doesn't hold a candle, though, to Vladimir Guerrero being behind him. People, this is, I think your Machado one sparks some conversation. I don't think your Vladimir Guerrero one 
is going to be met with a ton of love. And it's out of the love of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And this is the biggest, if you want to talk about potential plays, what was he, the highest steamer projected batting average from this past year, didn't live up to those expectations, drafted in the top three rounds. He falls down in the early drafts here to the sixth third baseman. This is probably, this might be one of your biggest discrepancies of a top 20 ranked player you're going to have in perceived value is what I'm saying. Not you're, you know, Mm -hmm. not saying you're wrong here. The stats kind of underlying justify this, but I'm saying between what the industry will be and where you are, I bet Vlad is one of your biggest gaps. I I don't understand it. Obviously we have very little draft and data that we're working with right now and things could change. Absolutely. Why I I view his rookie season as pretty underwhelming, kind of a disappointment based on where we drafted him. So why are we drafting him even earlier now? And why are we doing it after this huge offensive explosion where third base became this incredibly stacked position where you can basically do no wrong there, except maybe by drafting Vladimir Guerrero too early. I'm not saying Vladimir Guerrero can't be, can't join that top five and be a super elite hitter. I think he absolutely has that kind of skill set, but it's asking him to make a significant change in his batted ball profile. He puts the ball on the ground way too often, way too often. And that's going to have to change. We saw a change from Juan Soto this year. Maybe it can for Guerrero in his first full season too. But when it means passing up hitters of the caliber of Machado and Chapman. Um, the Suarez one is mind-boggling to me yeah, too. I, I mean, like, I, I, I just have a hard time justifying that. Like, it's The chances of it going wrong are high enough that like I, I feel like you can basically do no wrong at this, but that's that's kind of how I summed it up already. You can, you would have to try to mess up this position, but I think reaching for Guerrero is one way you could mess up mess up this position. It's interesting. We could have a debate around this for a long time. We won't necessarily do it here because there's plenty to be had here, but it's important in having the conversation around it because the stats don't necessarily justify it. There's a risk. The risk versus reward is a little odd. I'm more of a believer in Vladimir Guerrero, you know, seeing him and covering him as much as I did in person, but I was firmly out on him this year. I didn't in 2019. That is, I didn't want any part of him. I don't want to mess with a rookie bat, even though it's funny to say that. And guys like Jordan Alvarez, you know, absolutely blow the cover off of everything, but we can continue having that conversation. But Vladimir Guerrero coming in at number 14, Who doesn't want less stress in their life? Raise your hand. If high interest credit card bills are adding to your stress, I've got a solution for you. Pay off your credit card balances and save money with a credit card consolidation loan from my friends at Lightstream. Get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with AutoPay. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. Just for my listeners, apply now to get a special interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash strike. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash strike. Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash strike for more information. We're on the home stretch of the final third baseman. They're not necessarily to just be, you know, skipped over like they're nothing, but this we are changing some tiers, but you tell me how the tiers change. Go 15 to 20. Give me who those players are and give me the distinct differences of these players versus guys like Machado and Vlad that we just talked about. Well, I think 15 is with them. I think 15 is part of that massive tier. Josh Donaldson, 
I think he has as much upside as Bryant, who leads off the tier. So, you know, that that kind of shows how deep this position is. In Donaldson's case, he's a thirty he's gonna be thirty-four next year. And prior to this year, it looked like his career might be nearing an end because of injury troubles. He had to ink a one year deal with Atlanta to kind of reestablish his value, and he did a good job of that, but it doesn't erase the risk i don't think burned a lot of people in the previous year as well he was a yeah he was hard to stomach drafting this year because of how many people were burned in 2018 then 16 she would just want me to rattle them off just rattle them off 16 is miguel sano 17 mike moustakis who you might remember was in my top 12 at second base kind of shows the difference there 18 Moustakis's doppelganger, Eduardo Escobar, mm-hmm. statistical doppel- doppelganger. They don't look that much alike. 19 is Yuli Gurriel, and 20 is Justin Turner. So we talked about a couple of these guys, so we don't need to go back over Eduardo Escobar or Moustakis, but Snow over those players, and then Yuli Gurriel, who had an incredible stretch to back in the year, and one of those constants, Justin Turner. These guys, you've kind of identified that after Donaldson, there's a new tier because it was Bryant to Donaldson. What does this tier look like? Are these, we said it in second base where we we're kind of like, ah, these are like the leftovers. Are these guys the leftovers or is this hidden value and what makes third base so good when you look at guys like Yuli Gurriel at 19? <laughs> I assume these players will all be drafted to start somewhere. So all 20, all top 20 of my third basemen, I see as basically must-start players. Now, a lot of them are eligible at other positions like Moustakis and Escobar. They're second base eligible. And we had the three earlier, um, Muncie, McNeil, and uh, and who was the other one? Uh, Muncie, uh, I'm drawing the blank now. LeMahieu. Yeah, thank you. LeMahieu. So, yeah. So, those five guys at second base, maybe somebody like Bryant will be outfield. But maybe a lot of these guys will be drafted to fill a util- utility or DH spot, too. You know, give me Sano then, real quick. Sano's power numbers immense, 34 over 105 games, but a 247 average. What What's your outlook here? He has not played 120 games over the last three years, or let me get his full career stats. I don't think he's ever done that. As a matter of fact, let's see. Nope, never done that in his, uh, his entire career. He played 80 and 15, 116, 114, 71, and then 105. So never eclipsing 120 games played. This was his biggest power output you know, we've ever had, but his batting average is always sub 250. What makes him a pl- I mean, like, it's almost offensive that he's over Eduardo Escobar, but you tell <laughs> me. You tell me. Well, one of my bold predictions for, let's see, late August, I wrote an article with 30 bold predictions for 2020. So getting an early jump on that. And one of them was that Miguel Sano hits 50 home runs in 2020. I've been a Sanoa naysayer in the past. He's a guy who strikes out way more than I'm comfortable with. In fact, he had the highest, if, if he had the at-bats to qualify, he would have had the highest strikeout rate in baseball. But he also hits the ball harder than anyone in baseball, according to fan graphs. And we've seen enough success stories in this environment for me to to think he's going to fit that Joey Gallo uh, you know, maybe not quite as high end as Aaron Judge, but Aaron Judge is kind of that way too. And he basically did for the half season he was healthy, right? I mean, you just project out his numbers. He's a 50 homer guy right there. So I think we're talking about considerable, considerable power, the kind that allows a hitter to stand out even in an environment where 
seems like everybody worth drafting is hitting not just 20, but 30 home runs now. Um, you know, Miguel Sano is, that's enough to rank him 16th at this very deep position. It is a very, very deep position, and there are more positions to go, friendos, next week. So let's get this straight, because you were very adamant there's there's a sect of people that like you can't go second base shortstop, which I thought we might go this week. It's no, it's second base, then third next week, shortstop and then outfield. And then we can end October with how about a pitching week? Does that sound good to you? Yeah, we could do that. Okay, that we'll makes start, sense. Little so starting pitcher after outfield. Though, yeah, right? we go. That we go. Be, we're gonna that go. That would be insane. We're not gonna get that crazy around here. It no. is the off season, and we're playing it loose here, but we're not gonna go that crazy. It's no, gonna be shortstop. Just... <laughs> shortstop and outfield next week and then the following week we'll have a pitcher based one starting pitchers which should be a monster and then we'll talk about some closers so we've got more for you throughout the month of october as we do our 2020 early positional rank previews which you can go and check over on cbs scott white has got his articles up on all these guys you can follow him on twitter at cbs scott white you can follow myself at is it the welsh that's it for me and scott white we'll talk to you guys in the next episode later Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.